Welcome to today's Lots of Matza Pizza Podcast. Today we have Matt Cullen from Moorhead, Minnesota on the show. Uh, Matt, after uh, starring for the Moorhead Spuds, went on to play for St. Cloud State and into the NHL for a 1,500-game career. We'll talk a little bit about his career at St. Cloud State and the NHL, his three Stanley Cups, his involvement with Cully's Kids, and many, many more items here on today's show. Hope you enjoy the Lots of Matza Pizza Podcast. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire. Well, well, well. Thank you, Mr. Cullen, for joining us today on the Lots of Matzo Pizza Podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. Good to be on with you. Uh, well, this will be a lot of fun. We've had some uh, talks. We've been together for a couple of years now in the youth hockey circles. It's always fun to see kids run up to this uh guy with dark hair and asking for autographs it's always fun to i'm like wow who's getting the autographs here at the rink you know and it's always you're still you're still relevant right uh yeah for a minute yeah you got about a year or two before (laughs) you know before your relevance wears off um yeah uh, you've had a, obviously I brought it up in the intro. You've had a pretty, uh, great career in, in professional hockey. Uh, but, uh, it all kind of started back in Moorhead. Um, when did you guys move to Moorhead from Virginia? How old were you? Was that before you were born or after you were 10 years old? What was it? Yeah, it was, a, it was about 10 years old. I think, um, fourth grade, let's see, I moved in, uh, we moved to Moorhead, um, from Virginia. Yeah, it was, I was fourth grade, uh, first year squirt, I believe. So it was, uh, pretty cool coming in and then, you know, getting to play on the, the Moorhead squirt team right away and, and doing all that. So yeah, that was, I think 1986, I believe is, is when that was. What were, what were the, uh, kids in Moorhead, the kids, guys in your graduating class, what were they, how receptive were they to you coming in to the program where they're like, Oh God, now the best guy on the team and I'm not the best guy on the team anymore. What was it like? I mean, what was, what was the, the, the dan the, the, the dynamic like yeah i don't know i it, it seemed fine to me i mean we were you know 10 years old i don't think any of the kids really thought too much of it one way or the other and i don't think i was the best player on the team we had like you know we had like a really good group of kids a year ahead of me um right like with ryan craft and josh arnold and rob Grammer and uh, you know we had like some really good players that group ahead so it was kind of fun like for me it, virginia was a pretty small town and there was a lot of good hockey players but it was just a different kind of a different level coming here and which was good for me to see that I wasn't like the only good hockey player, you know, in Minnesota, you come to Moorhead and it's like, wow, there's some really good hockey players. So it was good coming in. So, but I think the kids were all great. I mean, it's, you know, Moorhead's a pretty small town and everybody's pretty good to each other. And uh, I don't remember anything other than that. I just loved it. What's the, what's the, uh, an Iron Range town, uh, you know, the, the dam- dynamic of a, a Iron Range town versus a town like Moorhead, which is attached to, to Fargo was there were, were the people different or was oh, it fairly similar yeah I don't know I think they were pretty comparable you know I don't know I, being 10 like you know you know your buddies in your neighborhood and Virginia was an awesome place to grow up I loved it I actually got to go back there oh maybe 10 years ago to see it and I I guess I I didn't realize at age 10 what a beautiful area of the state that is yeah. um 
you know, and it like I, being so young, you don't think anything of it other than you, you're sad to see your buddies go. And, um, but then you came to Moorhead and there was a lot of good kids and it was a really fun age group to come to, um, which I know you'll probably talk about down the road here, but yeah. there's a lot of good names, good hockey people. And I think it was a town like really hungry for hockey people. And, you know, my dad coming in to coach a high school team and, and having Terry Shercliffe here to help and be a part of it. It was really like a, about the perfect time to come here. Um, just a lot of good athletes getting into hockey and getting excited about it and then getting my dad into coach. So it was pretty cool. Like it was a really good time, you know, to come into Moorhead. And obviously when you're a kid, you're leaving your, the town you grew up in with Virginia, you know, that was tough. We had some great memories on the backyard rink there and going to the park and all that stuff. But um, yeah, Moorhead was great when we got here. So you get to Moorhead and you just left the, the Miners Memorial building, which is just like a, you know, a steeple. You know, it's a church. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And you show up and your your first practice is at the Centennial Rink. What were you thinking at that point? <laughs> That's really funny because the the Miner Memorial Rink in Virginia is unbelievable. Like, like I said, I went back there about, I don't know, 10 years ago and got to see it. And it is such a cool rink. I mean, I remember going to the high school games uh, as a young kid cheering for the Blue Devils. And uh, man, what a great rink that is. And it still is to this day. It's just one of those cool old rinks and it's just awesome. So yeah, we skated there. I mean, that was the rink that we played at. And then when I got to Moorhead, we went out to Centennial, which is basically just a metal build. I have, it was like an old 4-H building. So just a metal building. And it no, was no so, locker rooms, right? No, there were like curtains up, if I remember right. Um, <laughs> and that's testing my memory. But yeah, there were and the best the best part was that there was no glass it was fence like just yeah. chain link fence, chain link like fence in a baseball outfield and man you'd get hit into the boards and your stick would get caught in the fence and then spear you in the gut like at least once a game you know it was so funny but i don't know it was like you know when you're a kid you don't know anything better and i mean it was it was what it was but man it was cold you'd have your early morning practices before school and holy cow i mean you know it was so cold but <laughs> it, it worked you know yeah, so so actually culturally though, back to that, there wasn't a huge. It wasn't like you moved to Edina or Wyzetta or you know, what yeah. I mean? it wasn't like a huge culture change from the Virginia kids to the to the Moorhead kids. No, it was good, and you know, like uh, thinking back, like there's something to that. You know, you have some stories to tell, and you all share that experience of of being in that place. And we didn't know any different. You know, the ice was the same size as all the other rinks, and right. Um, you know, it, it kind of toughens you up a little bit and, and the, but you're right. Like the mentality, it's a blue collar mentality, whether you're Moorhead or Virginia, you know, it's kind of the Northern mentality. And, um, no, we, I mean, we loved it. You know, we couldn't get enough out there. So one of the themes of today's show will be kind of the, the rise of programs. I mean, you, you, you went to Moorhead and there was a rise in hockey there. You played in Carolina. There was a rise in hockey there. There you, you played at Nashville. There was a rise in hockey there. Uh, St. Cloud state the same way where there's going to be a, you know, a coming of age and you were kind of part of some of these programs where there was a coming age, even in Anaheim to some degree. I mean, it was, was this, this weren't exactly uh, franchises with brands. Now every one of these has a brand. Even Carolina now is coming back as a real prominent hockey brand, and you kind of got a chance to see them all. Yeah, it was fun. Like timing-wise, throughout my career, I was pretty lucky that way to be able to <clears throat> kind of go through some of these experiences and some of these places that were just on the front edge of taking off. And you know, so to be able to kind of be a part of that, there's just a different sort of energy and excitement. You know, whether it was St. Cloud or 
Carolina was such a cool experience. Nashville. I mean, all, all these were so, so fun. And even Moorhead, you know, like getting to go through the program at that time when it was on the rise. Um, yeah. I mean, those were all just awesome experiences. Like it was just really cool to be a part of it. And it probably is a big part of why I love the game so much. I mean, I get to see the best side of it when things are on the up and, you know, experiencing some of these ultimate highs going through, you know, winning Stanley Cups with Carolina and seeing the excitement around it. You know, all, all that comes with it. It was, you know, like if I think of myself as pretty fortunate and pretty blessed to have gone through all those experiences at those times. So uh, let's start. Let's go back to more. How do you get there as a squirt? Um, you, like you said, Josh Arnold, uh, th- this is a really good group of, of players that you grew up playing with. Uh, you ended up going to the state Bantam, and that's the first ever team that made it to state uh, for Moorhead. So you could kind of feel it coming. Uh, you make it to state. What is that like? You, you know, it, it, you could feel that there's some momentum there. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're a kid, there's, and, and you're around it a lot. And it was fun for me to be around it this year, being back with the, the more hockey association and kind of, you know, I was helping out coaching the peewees and just getting to go through these experiences. It brought back a lot of memories of those times and, and how fun that is. And there's just, there's just not a lot like it, you know, going through that, the, the Minnesota hockey and, you know, the state tournament experiences and, you know, coming from Moorhead here, we, we hadn't, previously been you know much of a hockey power and so to get to go to these state tournaments and we won a couple and you know coming through peewees and bantams and getting those experiences where you go from kind of an unknown to becoming a team that's expected to do well and it was really a cool cool experience i mean those are some of my favorite memories looking back as a kid and it's fun to share them with my kids now that we're back home in minnesota you know like they're going through it now and they're watching our bantams and our peewees and you know, going my two squirts to go through the squirt international. And they're asking me how we did in that tournament, you know, like it's just kind of fun and there's just nothing like it. I mean, that experience in Minnesota is just awesome. And it just kind of refreshed it all for me being home this year and getting to go through it again. But yeah, there's a lot of great memories and we had some great kids and great players and some awesome families. And so it just became this great experience. So you had, uh, this year you were the PBAA coach. You guys made it to state. Did you ever make it down? Did you guys make it down to, to St. Michael for the ban- banquet and everything? You, did you go yeah, through all that yeah, disappointment? We did. Yeah, oh, we man. did. We did the banquet the night before. And then, um, we actually were practicing. We didn't, we weren't scheduled to play till eight, uh, eight o'clock that night. So right. we had a late game. And so we were actually skating in the morning. We found some ice, uh, in Rogers, so we were actually practicing, um, just getting the kids a little skate before our game that night. Uh, we were scheduled to play Minnetonka, and then we got the word that everything was canceled. So it was uh, it was a lot of sad faces. That was that was a pretty disappointing experience. Obviously, with with yeah. the way the world was, it was you know whatever, not the a way shock, I guess, but. But yeah, lead, but it was, leading up to that though, you know, your your two younger sons uh, uh, played in the Squirtacular. Uh, They're one of the top three, four teams in the state this year. So they've got, so they got to live, they kind of got to see there. Uh, Brooks, your oldest, uh, is playing on the PBAA team. He had some success there. You see the Bantam team makes it to state. Uh, the high school team makes it to state. They're back here. They're entrenched for the first year. What's going through their head when this is all happening? Well, I mean, it was, it was, really, a, it was really a fun time, obviously, leading up to you know, it was disappointing when everything got shut down and, and that lots of people experienced that. And that was a disappointment, but 
leading up to that, I mean, going through, you know, the squirt team, they had a fun year. They won the squirtacular and then they were, you know, they just had a great year. They had the squirt international here in town. And then we had our regional tournament for the peewees. And then we were heading out of state, you know, it's just, it's such a fun experience. It, well, we they got to go to the state blast. tournament this year too. The boys did. I saw you at the, at the yeah. St. Paul Grill, so I know. That's right. What were they thinking? They had to have just been like bright lights. I mean, obviously yeah. this isn't, you know, homeschooling at uh, at the Pittsburgh Arena like they got, but this is still yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> These yeah. kids have lived you know, a pretty blessed life, haven't they? It's true. Yeah, it's really true. They've had a lot of really cool experiences, and so it's kind of hard to – you know, they're, they're not easily impressed, I guess, just because of, <laughs> we've been sort of, sort of lucky to go through a lot. Right. You know, like, uh, but man, to see how excited they were at the state high school tournament and sitting watching the games and getting, you know, my youngest is giving me the rundown on every player in the tournament who he thinks is the best in every team. Like it was just, I know they had fun, but for me, like as a dad going through all that, you know, I remember going to every state tournament when I was growing up, like it was the coolest thing. And this is one of those things that was basically on my bucket list since I, you know, started having kids and was in the NHL. Like I just, I couldn't wait for the time when I could bring my kids down to the state high school hockey tournament. And so we got to do the expo and we got to do the whole deal. And man, it was, you know, it just, it was better than I probably even remembered. It was so fun. And the kids just had a blast and man, they like, they're already, they were on me just a little while ago to make sure I booked a room for next year. So we go down and watch and <laughs> it's just, it's pretty cool. Like they're just, they loved it. And, and I did, it's so fun to be around it. You know, there's just nothing like it. So I've spent some time uh, covering Tier 1 hockey outside of the state of Minnesota. I, I always like to go to a tournament or two just to kind of see the other players and, and get a taste of it. And actually, I saw Wyatt play once in Detroit, I believe, for Penn's Elite um, uh, in, in, like, the Motown tournament. But the, the, what I'm seeing is, and I, and I saw him, he's got his yellow helmet, and he's playing, and I'm like, I wonder what that kid would look like playing in Moorhead. I kept thinking that in my head. What would he look like playing in Moorhead? We got to see it this year. But what was it like for you? and Bridget, you know, trucking three kids around in that atmosphere versus what you guys got to do this year. I know they're two different worlds, but what was that world like? Yeah, you know, it, it was different. It's, it, and like a lot of it goes to Bridget, right? Like I'm, I'm playing, you know, in Pittsburgh and um, our, our schedule's awfully busy. We're gone half the time traveling and then even when we're home, we have either practice or you know, game day, you're basically, you practice in the morning, you come home, you get your rest, you get your food, you go back to the rink for the game at night. You're kind of almost like a machine, aren't you? Yeah, you you are. And especially at the point I was in my career, I mean, you you need to put in a little bit extra time on taking care of the body and making sure you get extra rest. And when you're younger, you kind of just, you know, to a certain extent, you can kind of cruise and and you're fine. You, You got a different level of energy. So as an older guy, it takes a lot more time and, and effort to get yourself ready for every game. So yeah, like it was, so that's the balance, right? Like that's the challenge is it, are you willing to do that? Or, I mean, it's hard to sacrifice time with your family and your kids. And that's eventually you get to a point where you're like, I don't think I want to sacrifice that time anymore and it's time to be done. But you know, if, if it's not for Bridget being willing to take them to the hockey, I mean, she was at the rink literally every single night. Mind you, it was a brand new seventeen million dollar facility that the right. put together. So it's not a it's not the centennial like we're talking about, but <laughs> it's a great rink. But still, it's no centennial, but it will do, right? <laughs> yeah, it was just. I mean, it was a really cool experience. And but I, I, you know, I'm so appreciative of her for understanding that and being willing to put everything aside and just dedicating all that time to the boys. And so yeah, I mean, 
Your youngest, back, did cool. your youngest Joe get into the whole circuit? That uh, he was pretty young still, right? Because he was a first year yeah. squirt this year, so he probably didn't get into the whole, you know, going no. to Detroit kind of travel. But I'm sure Brooks and Wyatt, you know, sought their fair share of road yeah. trips, right? They did, did. Did they ever they go did. in separate directions? If that's the oh, case, yeah. how did he, how did she pull it off? Is yeah, it the old you, you, the old send them along with another family yeah. feel. Yeah, oh. it really was, and we had some close calls. Luckily, we had been there, you know, like the first year they did more of like the local, our first year in Pittsburgh, the year in 2015, 16, they did more of the the local association, which is more like what we have here in Minnesota. Yep. Um, and they do a nice job. And then the second year, we felt like the boys needed the, the Pens Elite level stuff. So we, we, and we were at that rink a lot. So we ended up doing that. So yeah, we, fortunately, we had some good close friends that we had made that we had boys the same age so we could send them off with, with them. And I mean, you it, the hockey community is no different in Pittsburgh or Minnesota. I mean, you have to lean on each other, and that's part of what makes it cool. And you know, the kids love going off with other people, and it's, so it's we were of, lucky that way. It's kind of funny, you know. You li- like just say you live here in the Twin Cities, right? You'll send a kid to Warroad or Roseau, six hours away, right? Yeah. But it's just for some reason when you cross state lines or you cross country lines going to Toronto, it's only like three hours away. It's like yeah. going to Madison. It's going up to Moorhead. It's not that big a deal. But it just seems like when uh, when you're in Pittsburgh, you're traveling all over the country. You're really not traveling that much farther than we do sometimes travel here in Minnesota. Or you no, guys, right. for example, this year, your PWA team, I saw you guys in Minnetonka. Well, that's four hours away. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? That's like going yeah. to D.C. from Pittsburgh. You know, it's not that yeah. far away. But we just think we have it all here in this big, huge state of Minnesota. Yeah, and there's that familiarity, you know, with what you're dealing with in Minnesota. But but like in Pittsburgh, they don't usually go much more than four hours, and they're lucky. I mean, Detroit's four hours away. Toronto's four hours. Buffalo's three hours. Columbus is a couple, you know, Philly. So, like, they have kind of their own radius, similar right. to in Moorhead. You know, we kind of – it's usually four to five hours is your max. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little different, but it's it's just, you know, the people are kind of – people are the same. Like, people in Pittsburgh are awesome. You know, it's a Midwest kind of, like – sort of people they're, they're good they're just great and so we were lucky that way because otherwise you probably couldn't do it uh, my know, best like, friend in college was from pittsburgh and so i got to go back there go with him a few times i went to a penguins game went to a steelers game went to a pit pen uh panthers game and like it's a nice yeah. little town it's old town though you know yeah. it's 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 yeah. very mature it's, it's a little bit like kenwood everywhere you know or like really matured old houses 200 year old houses a little bit different than the twin cities yeah and but the people are like are like home and that was the thing that surprised me when we went there i was actually kind of expecting more of like an east coast maybe like it's a not type feel no. it's not at all it literally it really feels like minnesota so that was like it it made it easier to kind of transition to live in there especially with our kids being a little bit older at the time i think i was maybe 38 or something the first year we went to pittsburgh so yeah it was i was so happy and it like it, the people there are as good as they come so let's talk a just a brief uh, spell on your um, your high school career, and then we'll move on to college really quick and then do some pro stuff here. So high school, uh, you had some disappointment there. I mean, you, you had some rough games against, you know, Jefferson in 94. And then I'm trying to go through the 95 year. You must have faced – that was the Duluth East game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah. the, the famed Duluth game. So you had two of the more epic uh, state final games in your career – where, where, where do those rank in in your memory bank? Do you you'd rather just file them away and never again, or or do you or do you think that's good for you? 
Yeah, no, you know, those are they're great memories. I mean, they really are. I, you know, you're playing in the high school state tournament is as good as it gets. I mean, I've been fortunate to play in a lot of different like big games and have great opportunities in the game, but those are still some of my favorites. You know, I, we ended up losing the final game for sure, you know, but for me as a kid, and I think for all of us in Moorhead, I mean, that, that really drove me a lot. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's easier to handle those defeats and try to grow from them than it is to, to manage being successful in a way, you know, like with success comes complacency and, so I think for, for me, I know in my career, you know, getting sort of denied on those really made me hungrier going down the, down the road into college and eventually into the professional ranks. And, you know, those setbacks and those defeats and those the adversity you face, those are the things that make you grow as a person, as an athlete, as a hockey player. And when I look back on those, you know, they're still some of my favorite memories. And I know for a fact that I wouldn't have been as successful and had as much fun playing the game if I didn't get the motivation that I got from some of those, those, you know, defeats and, you know, everybody goes through those tough times and it's, those are the ones that make you change and adapt and grow and you become a better player and better person after. So, yeah, I mean, when I look back on those state attorneys, I I have nothing but good memories. I mean, even our first year we played my, my sophomore year, we played against Jamie Langerbrenner and Cloquet. Um, It was a six, five win in the quarterfinal. What a, what a hockey game. Like I think back on that still, and I remember it so well, you know, and, and we ended up losing the next game to Hill Murray. And I think we finished third that year, but you know, all those tournaments, I can remember every game and, you know, every tournament, I can remember most of the players from it. I mean, if I think back to my first 10 years in the NHL, I don't remember a lot about it, you know, but I remember my high school days a lot more clearly than those days. So wow. Wow. Pretty cool. That, right? cool experiences. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes back to Neil Broughton. He won everything. He won Olympic gold. He won a Stanley cup. He still <laughs> laments not winning a state championship. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a fact, yeah, I like yeah. crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And then we all do it. Like, I, I mean, I think back and I, I think too about those games and, for sure, you want to win them, but you know we played some good teams, man. That my junior year, we played uh, Bloomington Jefferson, and they were a great hockey team. Mike Crowley was as good a player as I've ever seen play high school hockey, and they had a bunch of guys. And actually, their goaltender, I don't remember Jeff his Heil? name. But, oh yeah, he had a great game in that. Uh, Daniel Crafty had a great tournament for us, and like he had, I think that was the one where he had eight goals. Like yeah, you know how yeah. hard that is. No, it's almost so speedar like yeah. if you think about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and we had Josh Arnold was such a good player and we had a lot of good play. I mean, it was a really good, good hockey game, good level of hockey that, that game. And that probably could have gone either way, but they had a good team. They were great. Um, and then my senior year, we, we lost to Duluth East, who was a great team. Obviously yeah. Dave Spear, the good tourney and, uh, but they had some good players. I mean, those are just such fun times, you know, like it's the only thing in the world going on when you're in high school, you know, like there's just nothing bigger than that. And it was just so cool. When you retired, did, was there ever a second thought where you wanted to settle down? Um, you know, maybe earlier on in my career, but no, as we got older, um, we, we grew to love Pittsburgh a lot, but, but really we were pretty sure we wanted to raise the boys back home. Um, we, we come home every summer. My wife's from here. We went yep. to high school together, so we have a lot of family here. And so no, there really wasn't, wasn't much thought you know put into other stuff you know we basically knew we were coming home to Moorhead and this has always been home for us so 
That's pretty cool. Like we could get to the yeah. stories. We'll get to when we get to Stanley Cups. I want to get to talking about handing the cup to Mr. Bushy. So that's that's definitely yeah. on the agenda for today. I've yeah. had his story version of it and and seen pictures of it, but I'd like to get your story on that. That we'll we'll get to that one in just a second. So uh, get to St. Cloud. Uh, uh, the first year after your first year at St. Cloud, you get drafted in the second round. Did at this point after your freshman year, I, I almost thought you'd be a first round draft pick. What were your thoughts when when that when that draft went ha- when that happened? Yeah, you know, I had I had heard you know different things, and and the time of that was a little bit different too. Like we we didn't have NHL Network, we didn't have right. So the pro pro game to me was, you know, like the North Stars were no longer there. Um, <clears throat> we didn't get the North Stars on TV in Moorhead anyways. Like so. We, NHL hockey was so far off my radar, um, you know, other than the fact that people were telling me maybe I could play at that level um, right. once I got into high school and in college. But um, yeah, so I was drafting the second round and it was interesting because I, I look back on times in your life that kind of have a big impact on you. And I remember thinking and hoping I would get drafted the first round. Um, when I didn't, it was, it was kind of, I'll, I'll never forget it because I thought, you know what, like this isn't sort of my, big moment you know like I, I gotta get back to work and I want to be a first rounder I'm not so I gotta get better I'm not good enough yet I gotta get better if I want to be as good as I think I can be I gotta get to work and it was you know you look back on moments that kind of change the course of your career I don't know trajectory or whatever yeah um and that was one because I was really disappointed I thought I might be a first rounder and I wasn't and I was like all right you can either pout about it or get your butt back to work and try to get better. And so for me, I knew I needed to work on my skating and get quicker. And, um, so that's, that's what I did. I got to work and, um, eventually, you know, skating became one of my strong suits, which is something I was always really proud of that, you know, I took my weakness and made it in my strength just, and, and it took some, some tough lessons, you know, to get there. Um, so yeah, it was good. All right. So after St. So you, you, you played two years at St. Cloud. There had to be some really fond memories because this is, again, you met, you said something there that, that touched it. There is in Minnesota, there was not the North Stars. So UMD, Minnesota, St. Cloud, North Dakota. This was, you were the main event. You know what I mean? There was no pro hockey, so college hockey became, it was as good as it gets. I mean, North Dakota had some amazing teams during that run. The Gophers had some teams. You guys were kind of an up-and-comer, like, you know, you were the fly, you know, or the or the, or the the gnat, like, get away from me, get away. And you guys were just yeah. really hard. I remember going to some games in the mid-'90s uh, at St. Cloud, and I just remember my, my recollection is it was just raw energy in the building. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good description. I mean, it was, it was a pretty young program. I mean, you know, like Brett Hedekin had been through, um, the guy that I always looked up to growing up in high school hockey was Billy Lund, um, yeah. in Roseau. So, you know, our families were kind of friends and I, he was always the guy that I watched in high school and, uh, you know, I was in high school and I saw he was playing at St. Cloud and I was like, man, you know, maybe if I'm get get a little bit better I could play college hockey and he was the guy that I was kind of gauging everything off and so yeah he went to St. Cloud and so I got to watch him at St. Cloud um, and that was a big deal for me um, but I, I you know growing up in Virginia I always kind of wanted to play for the Bulldogs my dad um, he used to play softball with Brett Hull when he played for the Bulldogs so I was like a Bulldog guy and for whatever reason you know um, Tom Serratore is now the coach at Bemidji State he recruited pretty heavily um he was the assistant coach at st cloud when i went there 
Um, really? Ernie, huh? He's a, yeah, he's a great guy. I'm interviewing him tomorrow, actually. Are you really? Yes. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he is unreal. He's he, he worked really hard, and he spent a lot of time, and he was a big part of the reason why I ended up going to St. Cloud, and uh, I'm not surprised at the success he's having in Bemidji. I mean, he's a hard, hard worker. Um, funny guy, too, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not anyways, as funny so. as his brother, Frank, but he's going to be darn close, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think they're both pretty pretty unique guys. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so it was a good time to come to St. Cloud. It was right on the front edge of of everything, and obviously Mark Parrish um, was coming to St. Cloud. Uh, we actually went on our visit, our official visit together, and he. What he was had that like, a, like? Like, was he cocky? Like, I went to Jefferson, we beat you guys, yeah. or or was he like uh, a humble, down to earth, Moorhead type? Well, he had a little, he had a little bit of both. I mean, he'd tell you he was humble and down to <laughs> earth, but he had a little bit of both. I think we'd, we'd agree. Uh, no, Mark was an unreal guy. He actually kind of bailed out on me though. We had our official visit and he, he went in first to have the meeting with Craig Dahl, who was the head coach at yep. the time. And he went into the meeting with him at the beginning of our visit, <clears throat> which was supposed to be together. And, uh, he came out and he said, um, well, I just committed. I'm coming here. So I'm going to go home. We have like, they had some kind of high school dance or something. A party, right? A better, <laughs> he's like, something yeah, I better, go right? Home. I got to dance or whatever. So he left. And so I was left there on my own for, for the visit. So I'll just never forget that. That was the first time I really met Perry, but um, just a great human. And we had a lot of fun. Um, so anyways, I ended up going there, which it was just a, a really cool experience. All right. So you leave, uh, you leave after two years, uh, and you play some, some minor league hockey for half a season and then, and then it's just straight pros. What are your, some of your memories of going from minors, uh, and going from the minors and up into the pros with Anaheim? Yeah. Well, so after my second year in Anaheim, I went, um, oh, sorry, my second year at St. Cloud, I actually ended up um, signing a contract with Anaheim, and then I went and played six games, I think, at the end of the season in Baltimore, mm-hmm. which was their their AHL affiliate at the time, um, which was a good experience to kind of get a feel for the pro game. Uh, that summer, then their AHL team moved to Cincinnati. Um, so anyways, um, the the first training camp I went to then was the following year, which would have been my junior year of college. Um, and I've somehow made the team out of camp. Um, Pierre Paget was the coach. That's a name you probably yes, recognize. Yes, I do. North Stars. North and he was really coach. good to me. Yeah, he was a great guy. Uh, and so he, he kept me on the team and it was the first year that the NHL was going overseas. So we had the game in Japan. Um, yeah. so the big, the big draw at that time was Paul Korea, but he was holding out in a contract dispute. So he didn't even come. And, and, you know, partly that was part of the reason why I made the team. There was one more spot available. Um, so went to Japan with the team, which was a crazy experience. Um, who did you play? So we played Vancouver in Japan. Um, was it a preseason game or was it a regular season game? At that time, I think it was a preseason. There was two preseason games. Um, it was actually the ice was on a swimming pool. Like, so they had a hollowed out swimming pool and they put, you know, whatever across the top of it. And then they made the ice on top of that. I'll never forget the sound, like when you'd skate or shoot, because there was a big echo underneath yeah. you. It was crazy. I'll never forget it. But it was a really cool experience. I mean, I was two years out of high school. So for me, it was like, what the heck? Where am I hanging out with all these older NHL guys? Team Mussolini was probably on that team, Team Mussolini was there. Yep. yep, absolutely, yeah. So it was cool. I mean, we had a crazy experience. Like, I'll never forget it. Um, but anyways, we came back uh, after that, and then I was – 
I didn't play a lot, so they sent me down to Cincinnati to play. Um, so I ended up playing 20 games in the AHL that year. Um, and I mentioned earlier, Mike Crowley was down there. So I actually got to meet him and we played yeah. together. Uh, and that was actually really cool. We, we grew to be good friends. And, um, it was a cool experience. Mo Mantha, I don't know if you know that name. He was the head coach of the team. <laughs> he, he was, was just, great. He was just coaching in the Saint NAHL this, this past year in St. Cloud. Yeah, unbelievable guy. He would walk around the rink. It was an old rink in Cincinnati. He'd walk around in slippers and like a top hat and a robe. <laughs> it was like, it was for a kid like just really? out of high school. I was like, what is going on? But he was the <laughs> most fun coach. I had so much fun playing for him. What made him so fun? Uh, he just loved the game. Like he was like a kid, you know, he loved the game more than any of the players. I think, you know, he just had so much fun every game and he gets so excited for practices and games. Like, you know, when you, when you get sent down, it's, it's such a disappointment and you come down and you're just crushed, right? You, you think you may never get back to the NHL again. And you get down and you see a guy that's just so happy to come to the rink every day. And he's just so happy to see you and wants the best for you. Um, it was such a fun experience. And so I played 20 games down there and played some good hockey and had a lot of fun. I played with Crowley a lot. Um, and we had a lot of fun. And then eventually I got sent back up. Um, after about 20 games and then I stuck in the NHL basically from, from then on, but it was a really cool experience and really good for, for growing as a young kid, you know? So you had, so it's funny you talk about Crowley here, here, uh, Parrish and Crowley are two guys that were your nemesis in high school. And now you become close friends with both of them. Yeah. Is, speak to what yeah. that's like in the hockey world. One minute you're like, I hate that guy. And the next minute he's on your line. Right. Yeah, it is funny. And and Crowley was a guy, you know, like in high school, we went head to head and obviously you just develop a hatred because you want to win so bad and, and he does too. And so you just hate each other. I'm sure he would say the same thing. He probably hated me in high school. And then we did battle in college. You know, he was so good on the Gophers and, you know, playing against him at St. Cloud, um, you know, so you just kind of grow to hate each other. And, uh, and then it's funny when all of a sudden you're picked up out of your element and thrown into the NHL game and, yeah, all of a sudden you're on the same team and it's kind of funny. You find, you find out you're pretty, pretty similar after all. So it was good. And I mean, he's just, he's a great guy, as you know, and um, we had a lot of fun and what a, what a hockey player, you know, I always think he, he's the one example I always use when I talk about the difference in the game then to the game now. I mean, had he come into the game now, man, it's just, I can't imagine what kind of a player he would have been. You watch Jared Spurgeon play with the wild, like yeah, my Crowley, might have had more offensive ability. I mean, I love Spurgeon. Yeah, he had four inches on Spurgeon, right? Yeah, you know, but the offensive ability he had, was he able to use it now in this game without all the hitting and obstruction and big bodies? Man, it would have just been fun to see because he had some unbelievable talent. He was a great hockey player. When I talked to him on our podcast a week or so ago, he talked about that. He didn't He didn't say, well, if it were now, he, he just said, yeah, it was just a much different game. There was in, in the late 90s, it was a lot of just, you know, get it to the red line, get it to the red line, get it to the red line. Yeah. And there's just a lot less of the pounding it in the puck and, you know, pounding it for four checks. There's a lot more creativity, which is it's actually re- rewarded for it now, right? Yeah, and it's so good. I mean, the game of hockey is so much more fun, and it's a way better quality game than it used to be. I mean, you, you can watch on NHL Network right now. They do these older games, and, you know, it's crazy, this stuff that, you know, the hooking and the holding. I mean, it is what it is. It made it such a hard game. But, I mean, now you watch the game, and it's what it's all about. I mean, you see the skill and the speed and the talent. I mean, it's so fun to watch. But that was a hard game to play, and he was a smaller D, and, you know, it, it just 
was he able to wait 10 years and come into the league, man? That would have been fun to watch. I saw a, uh, a clip on Twitter this past one last week or so, and it was, it was Yager and Lemieux, uh, and they were playing catch. It might have been on a power play, but it, who knows, right? It always looks like a power play with those two guys. But yeah. the, the guy, the tweet was, I just spotted eight penalties, which would have been called today versus, yeah. and literally they were. They were slashes and holds and grabs all in yeah. about a 30-second sequence. You saw this. You saw the, the game when it was what it was like 20 years ago, what it was today. Uh, elaborate a little bit on that when you first started in the league. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I played, um, so 97, 98 was my first season. And then um, the the rule changes came into effect in 2000, um, 2005, 2006. So there was a lockout in 04, 05. Yep. And then during that time, then Brendan Shanahan was kind of responsible for um, forming a commission to change the rules, um, which was, you know, looking back was unbelievably innovative on his part and the management to be able to say, yeah, you know, let's put egos aside. Let's see how we can improve the game. And it cost a lot of guys their jobs. You know, there's a lot of big, slow guys that could play that game back then that ended up losing their job for the quicker, faster, smaller guys that had skill. And, um, but it was interesting for me going through it. I mean, you know, it, it was a hard game to play my first six, seven years in the league. Like I had some good years, but it was a struggle. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a fun game to play. I had to go from playing Minnesota high school hockey and college hockey, which was fun, play hockey, make plays, yeah. to you know, simple hockey, grind it out. And you really had to earn your stripes. And then as soon as you got through that lockout, the entire game changed. And, uh, it was such a fun game to play. I mean, I remember the first year how wide open the game was and it was yeah. like, Oh my God, this is how hockey's supposed to be. It was so fun to play. Then luckily I was on, that was the year that I was in Carolina. And so we had a really good, fast skilled team. So it was, it was even better. Yeah. It was like, so you went through the early part of your pro career up until the lockout was, it was kind of a struggle. It was, you're, you're skating uphill kind of thing. Right. And then yeah, it was tough. And yeah. then, and, and then you get the, the, yeah. Then the lockout happens. You go play a year in Italy, correct? Something like Cortina, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I know that for a really stupid reason, but not because of my research. Um, but you said you played in Italy. You and I chatted when you, yeah, I played in Italy. That was one of the, was one of the best years of my life. Well, elaborate on that year. Usually when there's lockout, it's not the best year of your life, but you said it was one of them. Yeah. It, it actually, it, it probably, you know, saved my career essentially. Like I had played five years in Anaheim, um, which was great, you know, but I got traded the year that they ended up going to the final. I got traded to Florida, maybe the year to Florida, yep. Florida had Mike Keenan as a coach, um, which was challenging. He was a tough guy. Wow. Um, we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. We? Yeah, we could. You could. And so that, those are some tough years. I was injured. He was tough. He ended up getting fired partway through my, I don't know, first or second year there. They were sort of forgettable years. Um, it didn't, <laughs> didn't go real well. Uh, and so coming out of that, I was a free agent and then unsure of where I was going to be, but I, uh, Jim Rutherford called from Carolina. Um, and actually that spring I had played in the world championships for Peter Laviolette. He was the coach. It was yep. in Prague, Czech Republic. We ended up getting third, um, which was a good finish for our for team. For American, so, that's we'll take third any time, right? Yeah, well, we beat like Yager and the loaded Czech team. We beat them in the um, quarterfinals uh, in the Czech Republic, which was like a massive game. It was twenty thousand stadium, full stadium. You know, everybody wanted to see Yager win, and we beat them. So it was kind of a cool experience. And 
Laviolette went home and he recommended me to Jim Rutherford. And um, so they offered me a contract. So I was going to go there. But so then the you lockout were hit. With, okay. So, but you were contracted by Florida at the time, right? Well, the year had just finished. Yep. Went to went and played the World Championships, and that was really good. Um, and then that summer, come they came around July first, and um, Carolina called, and Laviolette was the new coach in Carolina. Um, and so Jim Rutherford was the GM at the time, and so he called and uh, he signed me to a, a one let's see one year deal. Um, but then the lockout uh, happened, so there was no hockey. So I right. ended up um, Bridget and I we were married. We didn't have kids at the time. So we were like, you know what, let's go play in Italy. I wasn't a big enough name to go play in like Switzerland or a, a big country like that with great hockey. So I went to Italy and my agent was like, you know what, you're gonna have fun. It's a great city. Um, small little town in the mountains. And so we went and played, ended up being the whole year. Cause the whole year was lost to the lockout. And it was the most fun hockey. Um, we played on the Olympic rink. Um, and they had hosted like the 1955 winter Olympics there. My first day in Cortina was, it was like a reunion for the 1950 or 1950-something uh, U.S. Olympic team. So there's all these old U.S. hockey guys. No way. Touring the arena my first day there. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, it'd be fun to look up the names. But anyways, so that was my experience there. And it was like the coolest little village up in the mountains. It was surrounded by mountains right on the border with Austria. And uh, we had a bunch of Swedes on our team. The coach was Swedish, so they all spoke English. And uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever had a more fun year playing hockey. I mean, the hockey was fun. It was European wide open hockey and the fans loved it. We had a cool old wooden stadium. It was open on one end. So you could see the mountains out the one end of it. I mean, like I could go on and on talking about this year. So, we had Italian pizza every day, had dessert every, every meal. The food was ridiculous. Like every part of it was so cool. It was just the most fun. And it just kind of brought back my love for the game of hockey, I think. Oh, that's pretty cool. You had told me that once before, and I'm, I'm like, now nah, you, you you didn't elaborate about the pizza and the ice cream. Now I, yeah, now I, and yeah. the mountains. I mean, I've, I've been to Europe a couple of times, and the mountains are what keep you know they just steal you. You're like I gotta, I gotta stay, I gotta stay. You know, it's yeah. probably hard to go back to the U.S. after that. But yeah, it's crazy. It was just so cool. I mean, the whole experience was just out of this world, and. You know, like not having kids, it was just like we we just had a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great, great experience. Beautiful place. Like if you're ever thinking about going to Europe, Cortina is unbelievable. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So you, you come back and, and then it happens. Like you said, you just found the love of your game. So 2006 happens, five, 2005, 2006 happens, and, and now you're on a, a freewheeling team with new rules, new everything, uh, and you win the Cup. You beat Edmonton in the, in the Stanley Cup. I remember watching the, the when, you, when your team won the Cup that year. I don't know, remember what specifically. I just kept thinking, this town is absolutely bonkers for hockey, and it's – North Carolina, you know, yeah. and here we yeah. are in Minnesota and we have this young fledgling wild team at the time. I'm like, how unfair is that? That this people in North Carolina get a Stanley cup. I don't think they realize what a Stanley cup means to people North of the Mason Dixon line. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was just like a really cool experience. Go, so going into that season, um, we had a bunch of guys that were sort of like cast offs. I mean, like a Ray Whitney, Corey Stillman, even Rod Brindamore. Yeah. A Brett, little bit. Brett Hedekin, Brett Hedekin from Minnesota. Um, th there was just like a lot of guys that were sort of pushed off by other teams and either they were sort of fighting for their lives and their career or trying to prove that they still belonged. And 
we were actually picked. I think um, Sports Illustrated picked us to finish 30, 30 out of thirty in the league that year. Wow! So, so we were we were a total unknown. Um, and Justin Williams was on that team. Andrew Ladd. I mean, we had a <laughs> Eric Stahl was in his rookie year that year. So we had a we had a sneaky really good team, but nobody knew, and and we didn't know. I mean, I remember driving home from the first day of training camp with our goalie Martin Gerber, who I had played with years ago somewhere in Anaheim, I think. And uh, we were like, "Gosh, I don't know what we're gonna have this year," you know. And he was the goalie, so I was like, "Well, I know, you know, they're not gonna score many goals against us. We'll be good, but who's gonna score for us?" And so it ended up by the end of the year, I think Eric Stahl had a hundred points. Brenda Mormon had 90 something. I mean, we ended up having like six or eight guys with 20 plus goals. Like it was kind of funny how it worked out with going into the season with no expectations. It just, everything came together. It was like a magical year. Everybody had great seasons and we played a really fun brand of hockey. And it was like, I remember calling my dad halfway through the year saying, I cannot believe how much fun I'm having going to the rink every day playing hockey. Like it's so fun. And the games were exciting and high scoring and, you know, partly because the rules had changed, but also because of the way that Laviolette coached and you just let us play. And so anyways, it was so fun. And so, yeah, we, we kind of had this just magical run and uh, ended up winning the Stanley cup against uh, Edmonton game seven at home. Um, yes. I'll never forget it. So you win the cup and you get your day with the cup and obviously you, it's summer and you come back to Moorhead in the summer. Um, you get a chance to bring the cup to the Moorhead youth rink uh, for a spell. And is this the time that Dennis Bushy, you, you sneak up on him and get, he gets to see the cup first before everybody else? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was our first experience with the cup. So yeah, we were bringing it to the, to the arena. And so one of the rinks, one of the ice sheets is covered in turf in the summer. Yep. So we were going to have all the youth hockey kids come through and get a picture with the cup and just kind of share it with the association. So yeah, we, we ended up bringing the cup around back, um, by design just to surprise Dennis, just because he had played such a huge part in everything. And, uh, so we came around back to the Zamboni door and he was back there doing some work and, uh, they had kind of kept him back there and, uh, it was, it's, it's probably still one of the, my favorite moments in, in my entire hockey career is seeing the smile on his face when he held the cup up above his head right away. It was the coolest thing to see how excited he was. And I think it was like on the front page of the paper the next day or something. It was just so cool. Cause he was such a huge part of my career, but, but everybody in Moorhead's career and, uh, to see how excited he was, it was, it was one of my favorite moments. He's a pretty special man. Um, I interviewed him uh, 10, uh, 10 days ago or so, and, and you know, we talked for like two hours. <laughs> Just before he hangs the phone, he goes, I don't think I've ever talked on the phone that long in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know why? And I go, why is that, Mr. Den- Mr. Bushy? And he's like, because I'm usually too busy. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's a, and this is a true story. He won't brag about this. It's not like he writes a blog or anything. He gets to the rink at 6, 7 in the morning and goes home mm-hmm. 6, 7 night every yeah. day. Yeah. Well, that's usually after he's gone for his run. Like he'll, he'll get there at six in the morning, but he's already done his morning run. Like he's a big runner. I know. So he'll like run all the way around both college campuses or whatever. And so we have practice early in the morning and I'd show up and he'd already have done his run. And he's like, I'm like, how far did you go today? And he's like, ah, you know, not a great day. I went 15 miles or something. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, he's, he's, he's the energizer bunny. He is the energizer he bunny and he's in he his seventies. Yeah, he is. He's unbelievable. You know, and, and what kids like, like, like the generation, your children's generation, 
you know, you understand what Vietnam is. You knew what a Vietnam vet was. Try to explain what a Vietnam vet is to, like, even my kids are in their teens. They don't understand yeah. it. They have no idea. I'm yeah. like, they went off to a foreign war and fought for a year. You know, they yeah. year tours. Like, what are you talking about, Dad? I'm like, that's a yeah. scary existence that Mr. Bushy lived, and he came back and sure, raised yeah. a family by himself. I mean, he's a phenomenal. Beyond, just take the hockey out of it. He's a phenomenal man. Yeah, no, he is. He, and that's what that's what makes him so unique is he's just beneath all the stuff that he does for the hockey. He's just an unbelievable human being like he cares about everybody. And that's I mean, that's the biggest part of Dennis. I was at a uh, Morehead was I don't know why he was down in the cities, but he was it was it was it was a, it was a, it was at Bloomington Ice Garden. I think Morehead must have been playing Jefferson or no, no, they were playing. Morehead was playing over in our Thanksgiving high school event and there was a bunch of used stuff there and he was there. And you would have thought Elvis Presley was in the building when when he was there yeah. because <laughs> there were a lot of alums there to go and come back and watch the Spuds play in Bloomington that live here in the Twin Cities. And he, every five steps, Mr. Bushy would get stopped by somebody, and he'd get a hug from an ex-player or an ex, you know, a girlfriend or something or a cousin or you know, what I mean, like I'm like, Mr. Yeah. You're the most famous man in this Bloomington rink. He goes, Yeah, even here in Bloomington, I got to pull, don't I? He just wink, wink, you know. He was kidding, but yeah. he was right though. He was true. He's just a yeah. phenomenal person. Yeah, he is. He really is. All right, we're lucky to have him. So let's talk a little bit about these the the Sun Belt. We talked about it. You you won in you played in Carolina. You also played in Florida. You played in Nashville. We're running low on time, but like, tell me about hockey in the Sun Belt because it's not it's it's totally different today than it was even thirty years ago. Yeah, you know what? It's kind of cool. I think I think like uh, I think back to Carolina and Nashville in particular. I mean, those are those fans that, I mean, they just enjoy the game for what it is, you know, everybody, you know, for better or worse, right. Everybody in Minnesota, Canada, they've all had their own experiences with hockey. And so that sort of guides your view of the game and how you think it should be played. You know, there it's more, they just love the excitement of the game. It's fast paced. It's hitting, it's the scoring, the skill, you know, it's, it's a different level of like appreciation just for the game at face value. Like it's fun. It's exciting. I remember when we were going through our finals through our playoff run with Carolina, we would go in and morning skate for a home game in the playoffs. Uh, you skate from 1030 to like 11, have your meet your pregame meal at the rink and maybe you leave the rink by noon or 1230 to go home and rest. I remember leaving the rink and the parking lot would already be half full with people tailgating no. game that night. I'll never forget it. And as we got deeper in the playoffs, it was like, the parking lot was full. All the grass was full with people playing like cornhole beanbags, uh, just getting ready for the game that night. Like it was, it was the coolest atmosphere. So game seven of the finals in Carolina, the people did not sit down the entire game. Like they stood, the whole crowd stood the whole game. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of college basketball, college football feel there, right? Yeah. Hundred percent. Do you know what I'm saying? Where, yeah, exactly. That's where it's from. Yeah, and they're used to that. Uh, they're used to standing for a Duke game. They're used to standing for a for a North Carolina football game. They're used to that, and maybe yeah. that would kind of you know spilled over into you guys. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it did. I mean, that's college basketball country. You have, you know, Duke and UNC and NC State all right there. Wake Forest, they're all within, you know, 10 miles. You're playing other, You're playing down there. Did you ever get a chance to go see a, one of those college basketball games or college football games or kind of take a little bit of that Southern flavor? Yeah, I caught a couple football games. I never got to any real uh, any basketball games. It'd be games hard for I, basketball just yeah. because, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, some of them were tough. And I, I don't know why because Bridget played college basketball, so I don't know why we didn't do that but we, we just never got to any college basketball games but um man i mean if you're a college basketball fan that's like the that's like the mecca right there you know with yeah. all those good teams right there it really is okay let's fast forward and and talk about your cup uh win over san jose uh that's that's a good year i mean for how old you were you had a pretty decent season in 2016 after yeah. leaving nashville i mean it just ke- seems like getting you kept getting better with age well, it, it was a, a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I actually, I thought my career was going to be over after my last year in Nashville. We played in Chicago in the first round of the playoffs. And we lost. Um, and I thought that that was probably it. I was, I believe, about 38 yep. um, and had a decent year, but nothing spectacular in Nashville. So I thought, you know, that's probably time to be done. And I was fine. I was comfortable. I was lucky enough to win a Stanley Cup and I was happy with my career. And so that summer, oh, I don't know, July, I suppose, later in July, I got a call from Jim Rutherford, um, and he asked if I would want to come and play in Pittsburgh. And um, yeah, so it was kind of like, well, yeah, I, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity. And Bridget was on board, and the kids were obviously ecstatic about the idea of going and playing with Sidney Crosby and, you know, Malkin and all these guys. And so, yeah, we went, and it was just, it was a really cool experience. The first part of the year was a disaster. Like, we, we weren't even in the playoffs. We had a terrible start. It looked like it was going down. It was going to be it. And it was going to be a terrible ending. Well, the change coaches partway through the year, Mike Sullivan came in and uh, everything just flipped on its head. And we had the last half of the year was just unbelievable. We played unreal hockey and it was so fun. And uh, we just kind of rolled into the playoffs and had, I mean, we, the, the hockey that that team was playing that particular year was as good as I think I've ever been a part of um, and just went through and, and beat San Jose and, I think six games. Yeah, in the finals. Yeah, pretty amazing uh, turn of events from the beginning of the season. I mean, it, still the team you have when you have Phil Kessel and Malkin and Crosby. Yeah. Just, I mean, they had career career years that year. I mean, not Crosby, but yeah. a lot of those guys had career years. Yeah, yeah, it was cool how it all came together. And you know, it was funny. It was just one of those experiences where it looked like the world was ending the first part of the season. You know, and then they made a change and everything seemed to come together and, you know, guys ended up kind of finding their fit and their role and everybody just ran with it. And it was just awesome. You know, was the way we year, finished the season. Was that the year the rookie goalie was it where it went through the playoffs? Um, well, yeah, Matt Murray yeah. came in. Yep. So when Sullivan came in, he, we had Mark Andre Fleury yeah. was our goalie and Matt Murray came up after playing in the AHL most of that year. And they kind of split, you know, back and forth, but then Murray ended he up. He just got hot, right? Them. Yeah, he did. He played really Which well. Which is kind of yep. unheard of, isn't it? It's almost like the yeah. Bennington story from last summer was like, wait, we have a rookie goalie who's just hot. We got to stick with the hot yeah. guy, right? Yeah, well, and that, ha- that same exact thing happened um, in my time in Carolina the year that we won the Cup. We had Martin Gerber, who was a veteran goalie, who was our goalie the whole year, and he was really good. Uh, and then he got really sick right before the playoffs and he lost a bunch of weight and he struggled a little bit. And then Cam Ward was a rookie goalie who really didn't have a very good season. 
he came in for the playoffs and just ran with it. The rest is and, history, right? And the rest, is, yeah, he won the Conn Smythe, and the rest is history. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's kind of neat. And then in 17, you win the Cup with Nashville. Now it's becoming old hat, right? <laughs> but it, I, uh, it, this is the weird part, though. So 17, uh, if you do a little bit of study in here, like you pl- just played in Nashville, right? Like, yeah, this is kind of your hometown. These are your boys in a way. Right. Yeah. Some of your a, best friends are on this team. Yeah, exactly. And that was a challenge because you, you know you you get into the playoffs and you learn to hate the team across from you. And I mean, it just motivates the high level of hockey that everybody plays. Right. You learn to dislike the guy across from you. And so, and if you don't hate him, you find reasons to hate yeah, him. Yeah. Right? It doesn't take you long one game, and all of a sudden you got a reason to hate the guy. But this was different. I mean, it was a challenge. Mike Fisher was on that team. He's a really close friend of mine, and some other guys on that team were good friends of mine. And um, you know, so that it just was a, a real, it was a challenge, you know, I mean, we talked on the phone before I remember a fish called and we just were like, okay, well, we're going to just shut her down here for a couple of weeks and <laughs> no conversation and you're going to hate me and I'm going to hate you. But then after this, we'll be buddies again. And, uh, and, and that's how it worked out. It was pretty cool, but, um, not a, not a super easy experience, you know, like the first year against San Jose, it was easy to hate everybody. And, Right. Just go after it. And the same was my experience in Carolina. But this was it was a challenge. And I probably had I been younger, I maybe had a would have had a harder time handling that whole dynamic of it. But being an older guy, I guess it just the experiences you had and just understanding the opportunity in front of you, it just kinda you just did it. Part of you had to appreciate what was going on in Nashville from the two years prior to you being there, right? I mean it wasn't it wasn't a bad atmosphere, but the atmosphere in Nashville in 2017 is like I've never seen before. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and I give those guys credit. And actually, ironically enough, their head coach was Peter Laviolette that year. <laughs> who, who uh, he? So my two years in Nashville, Barry Trotz was my coach the first year, and then he got fired after the first year, and then um, they ended up. And I had a couple conversations. They ended up bringing um, Peter Laviolette in. Um, so I had him as my coach my second year there. Um, and so he, he did a really good job of building that team and, you know, getting them to believe in what they had and, and brought them to the finals. And the energy around the team that year was unbelievable. Probably like nothing I've ever seen before. It was really impressive. Um, so at the end of your career, you, you made a couple stops in Minnesota. What was the difference uh, from 2010 and, and then to 2017, I believe it was. Yeah, you know, that was just one of those uh, opportunities that came up. And, you know, yeah, I had my two years in Pittsburgh, and uh, I thought I was going to be done. I mean, I, I had fully planned on retiring after that year and um, settling down at home. And then, you know, when Minnesota came along, uh, asking if I would come and play, um, I don't know, it was just one of those things where I was like, well, you know, I just probably would regret not finishing in Minnesota. That was the thought process at the time. Right. Um, so yeah, I was like, you know what, I, if, if, you, if you're never willing to take any risks, you're, you're shortchanging yourself. And that was the one thing that I learned throughout my career. I mean, going to Pittsburgh the first time was a huge risk really Right. going somewhere unknown when I was getting older. And so I just kind of decided, you know, it's a cool opportunity that's been presented to it. Let's, let's go with it. So we ended up going back to Minnesota and you know, like the season wasn't a great season. Our, I think we lost in the first round to Winnipeg. Um, but like it was a great experience. And my boys were at an age where it was really fun to be around Minneapolis, St. Paul with the Wild. And, 
you know, just kind of getting them back into Minnesota life. And uh, it was a, it was a good experience from a family standpoint. The hockey didn't go real well. Um, right. It wasn't a super fun year hockey wise. Um, it wasn't a great fit style wise for me going from Pittsburgh to Minnesota. The way they played the game was really different. I guess I had a hard time adjusting to it, but, um, but overall, like, you know, Eric Stahl was there, Zach Greasy, Ryan Suter, um, some of these guys that I was good friends with. Um, so we, I had a fun year. I mean, all in all, it was fun having the boys around Minnesota hockey. And, you know, that was the whole thought process was to play that year and then finish and be home. Um, right. And then, you know, ended up going back to Pittsburgh for one more year. Um, I want to, before we, I want to talk about a few players that you played against, played with, um, but talk about the attitude adjustment that you had to do. I mean, especially the last, let's just say the last five years, uh, cause now you're 38 and you, you, you're tired, probably around 43, um, walk through a 42 walk through what you had, you talked about rest and all these things that go with it. Um, walk through some of the things you needed to do physically or mentally to, to, to prepare yourself for those games and the, that, the, the NHL at that point in your career. Yeah. You, you know what? It was a big change for me. Um, as I got older, I realized that I had to make some changes and I was always a guy that really enjoyed the off ice training side of it. And I would train extremely hard in the summers. And as I got older, I realized that I had to train a little bit more efficiently and a little smarter. Um, so my workouts changed a lot. Um, actually ended up doing a lot more of my training on the ice in the summer because the running and the jumping and all the pounding and lifting <clears throat> kind of took, took its toll on my body more than when I was younger. So I sort of had to adapt uh, my training and my mindset on how I was going about my summer stuff. Um, so I ended up doing a lot more on the ice. Um, I changed my diet completely. I got rid of all gluten and dairy um, just to try to minimize inflammation. I had done a bunch of research on it and I did some testing to see what foods affected my body negatively. And so anyways, long story short, I ended up getting rid of all gluten and all dairy, which wasn't easy. I grew up eating a lot of ice cream and you cheese. You talked about pizza and ice cream in Italy. So yeah, exactly. So anyway, so I gave it all up, which made a huge difference in my energy level and how my body recovered, which, you know, had I not done that, I don't know if I would have been able to play those last few years. And you know, and then along with that, then the other thing that I just, I really had to change was, you know, early in my career, I was an offensive guy. I played on the power play. I played on the top couple lines. And, you know, as I got later in my career, if I was going to be a part of a team, I had to be willing to be a penalty killer and play in the bottom six forwards and, um, you know, probably not get the offensive opportunity that I was, I was used to. And, and that probably was a bigger challenge, bigger adjustment than, changing my diet and changing my training. Who do you um, lean on at that point? Do you call a guy or do you, you look to the guy uh, that left you in the locker room and go, how do you do this? I want to be top six. You know, I, maybe your I, wife, who knows? Who do you, your dad, yeah, I don't know. Her. Who do you talk to? Rich. She thought I should have been on the first power play. Every <laughs> of course team, no she did. What, so. <laughs> I'm sure your mom and dad thought so, but yeah, it, they yeah. Did. yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I read a lot of books and I, uh, truthfully, I relied on some experience. I had played with some guys in the past that really had a hard time with getting older and accepting a lesser role. And I didn't want to be one of those bitter guys at the end of their career. And, and anybody that's played in the NHL knows those guys. There's lots of them. And I, and I understand it. It's hard accepting the fact that you can't play at the same right. level as the game progresses and your game maybe changes, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it was a real interesting life lesson for me to be able to swallow my ego and 
say, all right, I'm willing to take a lesser role. I'm going to do whatever the team wants me to do to, to win. And, you know, so that was a challenge for me. And I guess it was, I just going to Pittsburgh, especially was the time where I was like, I have to make a, a mindset shift here and, and do my best with what I'm given, but understand what makes me important to the team. And, and that worked, you know, in Pittsburgh, I was used all over the place. Sometimes at the end of a game, I play with, with Sidney Crosby. Sometimes I played fourth line and played 10 minutes, 12 minutes, you know, but I killed penalties. I won faceoffs. And these were areas that I just had to work to improve at and become valuable um, to my team. And so I think that was the biggest thing. That mindset shift was what allowed me to play those last, you know, four or five years. There's a guy's name. You've mentioned him probably five or six times in this podcast, and I would be a bad interview if I didn't ask about Jim Rutherford and what yeah. impact he's had on your life. And I think you still do some work for him today. I do. Yeah, I do. Um, he's been, well, he's just been probably one of the best things that's happened to my career. And just, he's a good friend. He's a great person. He's a Hall of Fame uh, GM now, actually. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame this past summer. Um, so I was lucky enough to go up to Toronto and watch that. But he, he's just a great human being, um, great general manager. So he was the general manager for all three Stanley Cups that I was a part of. And he brought me um, into Carolina twice, actually, uh, and then into Pittsburgh twice. Uh, and now, yeah, I, I, he kept me after last season, and, and I do some work for the Penguins, uh, working with the coaches and with the player development stuff, a little bit of both. So, um, yeah, he's had a huge impact on my career. I mean, he, he and his wife are good friends of ours now. and um, We've been through a lot, you know, over the years with the Cups and uh, the trades and everything. So um, you got to, you know, when you go through a long career, you got to have some people in your corner. And he was one of those guys that was just always in my corner. Um, so it was pretty cool. He's a great guy. He was a hell of a goalie too. Let me tell you mm-hmm. when we were really kid, innovative, we were kids in the basement. I always wanted to be Jim Rutherford in the Nets. Really? People like who's Jim Rutherford? I'm like the Red Wings goalie with the cool mask, you know? And yeah, he His was very athletic, of fame, you know? Yeah. He Did was you know? very athletic goaltender. I just remember he was really hard to score on for the North stars back when they were playing the wings. Yeah funny yeah yeah. i think he was one of the first if not the first that he was one of the first to have a mask and actually like design it like he put some different things oh it it was the coolest like you said hall of fame yeah his his mask was hall of fame worthy that's for sure all right we're running long low on time i I just had to ask about jim because it was you mentioned him a few different times i was like wow where would matt cullen be if there was no jim rutherford you know because that's a great question you know all right so pre-show we went through five players uh that you didn't like to play against and then we went with five players or a combination of five players that you love playing with so i'm going to read their names and you can explain to me why they were so hard to play against uh well you got one we got we got two Jefferson guys. We've already we've talked about him a little bit on the show. Mike Crowley was a guy you hated playing against. Yeah. Why? Why was yeah. that? Well, I mean, back in high school, he was as good as there was, you know, in high school. He was a great player, and he played like a pretty confident, I'll say, confident game. I mean, he was he knew he was good, and he was, and their team was really good. So, I think just you know, playing high school here in Moorhead, you, you learn to hate. At that time, you learned to hate Jefferson, and he was like the guy. So he yeah. was the guy that I always didn't didn't like. All right, um, Chris Pronger, uh, you played against him in, I believe, in the Stanley Cup Finals, right? Yeah. So he played for Edmonton the year we were in the Stanley Cup Finals, but just, just my years in Anaheim, and well, just throughout my career, he was always such a hard defenseman to play against. He was actually the only guy in the league that I would put wrist guards on 
uh, to play against at that time. What does that he was, mean? He was vicious, like What's slashes. a wrist guard? Like, <laughs> well, like a wrist... wrist protector. You put it between your elbow pads and your glove. Oh, oh, I get you. I get you. Like yeah. the kind of thing you would wear if you were rollerblading or something like that, right? Like a little, like a little shield almost. Yeah, I mean, guys wear them now pretty regular. Um, I didn't used to wear them, but there's a space between your gloves and your yeah. elbow pads, and he was just—he'd find it, he right? He was vicious, yeah. And not to mention, he was a great—I mean, he was a great player, and he's really physical and big and mean, and he was good. Like he was as good as there was in the league, and he was tough to play against. All right, so uh, next one is Daniel Chara. Yeah, well, I mean, that speaks for itself. He was just so good and so big. Um, we played actually together in the AHL All Star game years and years ago, and. He was a very much a work in progress when he started. He was six nine, but he was not much of a player. And he's a great example of a guy that just absolutely worked his butt off to become a great player because he was not a good player at that point. I remember seeing his hockey stick and I was like, "What? A, what is that? I, I didn't know who would use that. It was so much taller than everybody else's stick." And I turned around and I watched him walk through the room and I was like, "Oh, that's probably his stick." I saw a sixty minutes special on Zdeno Chara, and yeah. he is a workout. Maven. I mean, working out is the le- it's crazy. Like the like the pull ups he can do, and some of the things yeah. he can do. And this is a six foot nine frame. Usually, those tall, lanky guys don't really build muscle mass very easily. And yeah, he's unbelievable. Yeah. No, and he was, and he wasn't like, and, and he really did earn it all because I saw him at the beginning, and he was not big, strong. I mean, he was tall, but he was not strong. He was not skilled he had a long ways to go i mean he was a project right and he just absolutely worked to become what he is so i i i, I give him credit actually it was a funny story i don't want to go too long but my last game and my last year in pittsburgh he came we were in warm-ups and i was standing at center ice waiting to do a drill just for warm-up and he came flying up to center ice and i i saw him coming full speed and i was like oh my what's he going to do to me you know i was like I had a flash of <laughs> and he stopped and he's like hey Cully, we're in the same draft. Can you sign a stick for me? Shut up. Sticks. And I about crapped my pants. I thought he was going to run me over for whatever, something maybe I did before. But anyways, but it was just kind of cool. Like uh, talk about like a humble guy that just worked to get everything he's gotten and he just appreciates the game. But it was, it was kind of a cool story. And I just, um, it's, it makes me a big fan just, you know, seeing how well he's doing. He's just, he's yeah, done it all by working hard. The video had him as a cyclist and bikes everywhere. And, and it, you could just tell everybody just attracts to the guy because he's such yeah. a humble down to earth guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's one. Here's one of the most famous guys on your list. And, and again, I couldn't imagine playing hockey against Mark Messier. Yeah. Well, and it was obviously at the beginning of my career, he had a couple years left. And uh, I just remember, you know, he was the Edmonton Oilers, the 80s Oilers were the team that I always grew up watching. So right. I was lucky to catch like Gretzky and Lemieux at the end of their careers and play against them. But playing against Messier, I just remember coming into faceoffs and he would be sitting there staring a hole through you. And uh, if you ever won the faceoff against them, he would cross check you so hard. And it kind of made you not want to win the next face off. Like it was, he was just a scary guy, you know, like in that he just would look a hole right through you. And obviously with his reputation and 
everything he had done in the game, he was just an intimidating guy, and he could still play. Like, he was still so good. You just said the magic words. I played a men's league game against Brian Bellows, and he cross-checked me, and I still feel it to this day. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a different game. You didn't want to go in there anymore. I'm like, oh, no, no thank you, right? <laughs> well, I'm sure getting cross-checked by this guy wouldn't have been very fun either. Eric Lindros is a guy you listed. Yeah, he was just a different breed of, of human, I felt like. I mean, yeah. he was just so big. It, like his, it looked like the helmet on his head didn't fit. You know, I mean, he was just so big. You get into the face-off against him, and he was just, uh, I don't know, he just seemed so much bigger than everybody else on the ice, even compared to guys that I played against later, like uh, Pronger or uh, Chara. I mean, this guy wasn't quite as tall as him, but he was just like, he was just a machine. He was so strong, and he was so good. Um I just remember playing against him was so difficult. All right. Now let's talk about some guys you played with. Uh, let's just get Sidney Crosby out of the way, right? Like everyone's going to – he talked to Matt Cullen for an hour and ten minutes. He didn't talk about mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby. Yeah. So we got to talk about Sid the Kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just – he's the best player I've ever seen play the game, bottom line. Like he's just so good. And his game gets better in the playoffs. Um, he He's just – I mean, you just every day you see something new out of him. And I, I obviously getting to see him, I had played against him for a few years prior to coming uh, to Pittsburgh, but just getting to see him every day and the way that he competes and works. And uh, I mean, I, I don't want to go on and on, but you know, he just, he just kind of does everything right. I mean, he's a great human being. Um, he takes time for everybody. Um, and when I signed there, he actually offered to go look at houses for me, you know, like I didn't know him, but that's the kind of person he was. But on the ice, I mean, he he's just so powerful. Like, there's no – he's so strong in his lower body that he's so powerful. There's just kind of no stopping him. And the way that he sees the game, it's fun to see the plays that he makes every day. And it's the same in practice. And, you know, the way that he works sort of drives the entire organization to work the same way. Um, Isn't that so funny? Anyways, the, the player drives the organization. Usually it's, it's the organization. It's totally true. You know what I mean? Totally Isn't that true. great? Yeah. That's great to hear yeah. that. Uh, I, I I was interviewing Kevin Gorg. Uh, about a week or so ago, and he said that by far the most professional athlete, professional, professional athlete he's ever worked with interviewing-wise or working with is Sidney Crosby. He's just yeah. caring. Ask, he goes, he asks about me, and he's just yep. he's just one of those guys that it's, and he goes, and it's 100% genuine. It's not fake. Yeah. It's not an act. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. No, he is. And he's, and it's kind of a cool, and it's, it's good for, for kids to hear this, but he, he's always looking to get better. You know, every summer he goes home and reevaluates everything and looks for new ideas to try to incorporate into his game. And it's, it's cool. Like he could talk hockey all day long. Like he loves, loves the game. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. What a great, uh, that we're lucky The the game of hockey is pretty lucky to have its best player be so well yeah. polished. Right. Yeah. And, no doubt. and not controversial at all. And it's just, so it's a, we're very lucky that way. Yeah, there's no question. All right, uh, Carrie Underwood's uh, husband—that's um, the way I like to call her, call <laughs> him. Uh, Mike Fisher's a good friend of yours, and also, if you look up his hockey DB and some of the world championships and Olympics, he's had a really nice career. Yeah, he was a really good player, and, and, and maybe a guy that you know he played a lot of his career in Ottawa, and then he played in Nashville. And, um, maybe a guy that people don't really realize what a good player he was. He, he was a really tough guy, um, strong, uh, played both ways. So he always played against the other team's top players, uh, could really shoot the puck. He would score 25 to 30 goals every year. Um, just a great player, unbelievable human being. Um, so we got to be really close in, in our two years in Nashville, we lived right by him and got to be really close with him. Um, 
great guy. It had an unbelievable career. The reason I say that about it, I don't, I'm not saying that because that's what everyone would say, but I, you and I chatted once this winter, and you were, you had gotten back from a trip. He was, yeah, I was with uh, Mike Fisher and his wife. I'm like, <coughs> you mean Carrie Underwood and his husband, and her husband, yeah. right? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah you know. <laughs> thought it was kind of funny, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, uh, here's a duo that uh, you said you really love to play with, and this is Zach Parisi and Eric Stahl. Yeah, both really good friends of mine. Um, I had played with Eric in Carolina um, when we won the cup. And so he was a real young kid. He was, I guess he was probably 19 years old at the time. Um, but anyways, we got to be really good friends with he and his wife. And um, they live up in Thunder Bay area in the summer. So we would see them quite a bit. And uh, yeah, coming back to Minnesota to play with Eric. And and uh, that was really a cool experience, really fun Um he lives down in Edina. He's got a few boys that play hockey yeah. too now. So, uh, and then Zach Parisi, we got to be really good friends. Um, so my last year with the Wild, well, I guess my first first go round with the Wild, um, the final season there, he and Ryan Suter came in that year. So that was the lockout right. short year. So we got to play together. But we also skated the entire lockout together. We stayed down in Minneapolis, and so we got to be good buddies. And um, so that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, so those are two guys that I've always been, and still to this day, are really good friends and. Um, so fun to kind of have later in your career, those, those experiences with some good friends. All right. Uh, I got two more to go here. Mark Parrish is one that you listed here. Another Jefferson. I mean, what is with Jefferson? They, they, they just come back to haunt you, don't they? Yeah, I know you can't shake these guys, but no. yeah, Perry was a great guy. He was a good friend. We had a couple years in, uh, St. Cloud that were really fun and we both came in at the same time, um, became really good friends and we played together the entire time and it was a good fit. He was as good a goal scorer as I probably ever saw or play. I mean, he could just score the score. I mean, he was a great player. He could play the game. He was a big, strong kid. Did um, you ever cross paths in the pros, play together? We never did. You know, it would have been so fun to play together at that level because our games just sort of meshed. You know, I like yeah. to slide it and make plays, and he was just such a good finisher. But he could play, too. I mean, he just he just was such a good goal scorer. And he went on and had, I don't know how many, 30-goal seasons in the NHL. I mean, he had a great Several. NHL career. Yeah. Several. So he was a great player. So it was pretty cool timing that we both got, you know, came into St. Cloud together. Um, we had a lot of fun playing the game. Our, our game just sort of fit together. Now I saved these two for last because I just loved watching these guys play. Uh, Timu Solani and Paul Correa in Anaheim. Uh, what an unbelievable, you know, one-two punch they were. Yeah, they were so good. Um, they were so fun to watch. Um, they were so different too. You know, Paul was so straight, narrow, strict. He was ahead of his time on the way that he, you know, approached diet and training. He was my roommate on the road actually for my first five years. So I learned a ton from him. He would stretch every night, you know, in the hotel room before bed. And so all these things that he kind of just took me along with, and I learned so much from him, but he was so talented as a player and so dynamic. And then Solani was just more of a laid back guy and was just a pure talent. I mean, the way that he played the game was so fun to watch. And these two guys together, it was like they were meant to play together. It was so fun to watch. I mean, it's probably like when you watch Gretzky and Curry play together. Yeah. These two were similar. It just, you know, that period of hockey, it was tough. It was really tough going. I mean, there wasn't a lot of space and they still put up crazy numbers. It would be fun to see them play in today's game. It would be just outrageous. It's probably what watching like, Dry Seidel and McDavid would, would look like right now. I mean, those two together would just have been so fun to watch it in, in this era of hockey. 
Yeah, it really was. Did you feel, this is a, an oddball question, did you feel as if the West playing on the West Coast, because you played in, in everything except basically Canada, you know, but you played in a lot of U.S. states, but did you feel like the West Coast teams kind of got, you know, forgotten in some ways? Well, 100%. Well, especially when I was playing my first five years, there was no NHL network. There weren't really many highlights on ESPN. So, I mean, unless you were having a really good year as a team, which we we didn't when I was in Anaheim. Right. It, it was like you weren't even in the NHL except for when you went to the East Coast to play uh, yeah. games. Yeah. I mean, because your games start at 10 o'clock, right? I mean, for everybody on the East Coast, Anaheim's playing LA. It starts at 10 o'clock at night. Well, and if they're not very good teams, who's going to stay up and watch it? You know, so it was like kind of not really like being in the league for a while. It's kind of what's happening right now with, with McDavid. I mean, he's still the best player in the league, or if not one of the best two players in the league, and you rarely get to see him. He rarely gets onto that, you know, into the into the megaplex of, of, yeah. of NHL, uh, NHL.com and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's changed. It's definitely changed a lot. It has. All right, last but not least, uh, let's talk a little bit about your foundation, Cully's Kids, and what Cully's Kids does, because I know you guys are always raising money for it. Uh, your wife, Bridget, does a fantastic job with, you know, she's got her, her perfumes and her lotions. She's, she's just killing it, by the way. And, and, she, and you guys have a ball. I mean, you do a lot. And what are, what's the benefactor to Cully's Kids? Who's, who, when someone makes a donation, I'll put a link in, in this podcast so people can get to it. Uh, wh- who are the benefactors in the Cully's Kids uh, Foundation? Yeah, well, we started it like uh, back in 2004, um, and she she's the the energy behind it all. She she went to school to run a nonprofit, and uh, so yeah, we started it to help kids with cancer and other illnesses um, in the in our region, basically. Um, so yeah, we, we've, we've done events most summers, um, since then to raise money for, for kids around here and in Minnesota, even in some of North Dakota, just to help out. And we, we made a million dollar donation to the hospital at the children's hospital here in, in Fargo actually, um, to help kids. So yeah, it's, it's a passion for both of us and she's the one that drives everything. Um, but yeah, she's a pretty special gal. She, she runs the foundation and then she runs her own um lip balm skincare company too and so she she keeps very all busy. natural by the way all natural. yeah there you go there you go she yeah, put a but... really hard sales pitch on me at the spectacular <laughs> this year it was fantastic you should have She's seen tough. her her booth was unbelievable and her energy is like she's the energizer bunny in that relationship let me tell you yeah she is. it's true it's true everybody that knows us will say that she's the personality i'm kind of dry but she's the personality yeah, you got the good looks, though, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, funny. <laughs> I'm just making fun yeah. here. Well, yeah. this has been a blast. We've really covered a lot of ground. We covered some youth hockey. We covered Tier 1 hockey, Stanley Cup, uh, Sunbelt hockey, you name it. We, we we covered a lot of ground today, and it was a lot of fun. I hope, you're, I hope your boys, I know they listen to the Dennis Bushy podcast. Maybe if you're cool enough, they might listen to this one, right? Maybe. I doubt it, but maybe. Maybe. They, they're sick of listening to you all day long yeah. in this quarantine, I'm sure. That's true. Well, That's for sure true. I know our listeners won't be sick of it. I'm sure they will join in. I really appreciate it. I appreciate uh, Lots and Lots of Pizza for their sponsorship. Uh, Matt, I appreciate you coming on the show. Matt Cullen from Moorhead, Minnesota. All right. Thanks, Tony.